Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come. Lord, we don't want to take for granted the opportunity we have. And Lord, just to create these rhythms, this pattern in our life of beginning our week together in your house, Lord, and allowing our hearts and minds through worship and praise to be lifted up to you, to sing about you, to sing about who you are and what you've done, and to allow that to just settle into our soul as we go through this week with these truths as a backdrop uh, for everything that we're involved in, Lord. And then as we open the word right now, and as we understand that what happens in these moments is something that's spiritual, Lord, this is your active, living, eternal word. This is not my ideas. This is not something that was made up. This comes from the very heart of God. And Lord, we recognize that your word is truth. Your word is life. It's our hope. It's in you, Lord. And and so, Lord, we just ask that in these moments that you would uh, create a spiritual atmosphere for us. As I speak, Lord, just uh, give me the ability to communicate your word. And Lord, as, as you always ask in the New Testament, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Lord, the one who inspired the word, I pray, would be the one who illuminates it into our heart and life in these moments. Thank you for this time. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this abundant life and this word that just, it, it helps us to understand how life is to be lived, where blessing rests, Lord, and how we can navigate through all that this world holds. And we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, have you ever had one of those moments uh, where you've met someone and uh, after you met them, you kind of walked away and you were a little blown away because they were not at all like you thought they would be. Anybody ever have that? The rest of you are liars. Because <laughs> I know every one of us have like, you know, wow, I didn't know they were like that. And that can be good. They're really nice. That can be bad. Man, what a jerk, Right? We've all had that. We perceive, maybe it was your boss. You know, maybe you're uh, in a company where there's hundreds of employees or whatever, and you just see somebody, and you kind of have a perception about them, and like you hear things, and then you run into them in the hallway, or you're at a social event for your work, and you spend some time with them, and you kind of walk away, and you're like, wow, I didn't think they were like that. You ever have those moments? I was thinking about my own life and, and sometimes it's even, it's even unique. This happens often, it happened in my life where sometimes the people who end up being the closest to you, you had a poor impression of first. Isn't that amazing? Like second, it was second grade for me. It was Lincoln Elementary School, Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Uh, heaven on earth. No, teasing. But um, Mrs. Overton's class, and it was Adam Malmberg. Let's just say, short story, that I was involved in some behaviors that I should not have been. And um, this boy, Adam, who I don't really even know, turns me in for my behaviors. 
rats me out, right? I, I deserved everything I got, don't get me wrong. But Adam was the guy who like went to the teacher and said, you need to take care of this, Chip is doing this. And my impression of Adam was just like, what a jerk, right? I don't even know you, man. How could you, it wasn't like we were friends and I did something to him, so he went and, it was like, I don't even know that kid and he rats me out, so to speak. Thing was even worse, he ratted me out to my dad. Like he went up to our car after school, my dad was picking me up and said, hey, I'm like, dude, you know, even in second grade, I was like feeling this angst. Guess what? Through the process of life, Adam Malmberg became my very best friend. I mean, we were at each other's house all the time. I mean, hours and hours of my life, like, we had this friendship, right? All the way up, really, through junior high. And it's just amazing how sometimes our first impression of somebody is not, um, and they say lasting impression. I've had that actually not be reality. Um, I was thinking about, sometimes this can happen with celebrities, right? Like, you have this perception of a celebrity, and then you, you, you meet them. Um, ever met a celebrity? I was joking with Ben, raised his hand on the first surface, I said, well, you get to see me every day, Ben, so <laughs> just teasing. It's like, it's like that. I, in fact, I experienced that this, this year, or this last summer. I went to the Memorial Golf Tournament, and I'm walking, Ken and I went, and um, Walking down one of the, by the fairway of one of the, I think it was eighth, eighth hole, and walking down this hill, and these two guys are walking toward me. And I'm like, glance up, and there's tons of people, right? I'm thinking, I know that person. I know that face, I know that face, I know that face. But I couldn't, I was just out of context. I'm in Columbus, Ohio, I don't really know, you know. And it like, I keep kind of glancing at them, and they go by, and then it hits me. It's like, that is Jordan Bohannon. Now, how many of you know Jordan Bohannon is? That's what I thought. (laughs) So this guy's a celebrity in Iowa, okay? He's Iowa's point guard. He is one of the best shooters in the country. That's not my opinion. He is incredible. He's a celebrity in Iowa, okay? And so I'm like, wow, I've watched this guy on TV like a hundred times. And so, you know, just in the course of like, I didn't turn around and run back because I kind of felt awkward about that, you know. 39-year-old man, like, can I get you out of here? <laughs> no, I'm going to do that. But he was following Tiger, and I was following Tiger. And we ended up close to one another at one of the greens. And I thought, I said, Ken, I'm, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm, you know. And I walked up to him and started a conversation with him. And I kid you not, we talked for 10 or 15 minutes. And I, I, I think we could have talked for 30. He was that gracious, that nice. Unassuming, didn't know me, was there to watch a tournament, spent time with someone. We were from the same state, grew up 80 miles from each other, talked about that, talked about, you know. And my impression of him just was like, wow. Like, I didn't have a bad impression of him, but it was just like, you ever have that? You know, I was thinking about my relationship with Nicole. And just the first impressions you have. Still remember when I saw her first time. And, and all those things and how, you know, you kind of are wanting to know somebody. And, um, but you kind of, this is the impression of, uh, do they want to talk to me? Or, you know, all that awkwardness we all went through. And finally, kind of 
pushing through that and starting this relationship and realizing, wow, it is far more, it's better than I ever could have imagined, even based off my first impression or my first encounter with them. And this series is simply a way for us to kind of spend some time watching people encounter Jesus Christ. The idea of Scripture is it's the revelation of God. Who is God? What is He like? What does He want? How does He think? How does He act? And from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, from the creation of man to the fall of man to the call of Abraham as God is working a plan to begin to save, give opportunity to save us, he is revealing himself. And sometimes it looks weird. Sometimes it's different. You know, the way he calls out Abraham and says, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to have a people that are going to follow my ways. And the Jewish people aren't any better than anybody else. It's just God needed to pick somebody to start to become his vehicle for revealing himself to the world, right? And so he chose Abraham and he started this Jewish race and they lived kind of uniquely at times and they did things that we don't ever even do now. We're not called to do anymore, but he was trying to set this precedent of this God is other, he's holy, he's distinct, he's different, he's the one true God. And in the middle of that, he shares things that are that are that are for us, his moral code, his law, his nature, his character that we follow and we understand. And all of the Old Testament, though, is pointing toward one thing. And the whole Jewish race was for one thing. And that was to provide a platform in which Jesus Christ could enter the world. Because the full, complete revelation of God is in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know how God acts? Do you want to know what God thinks? Do you want to know how God feels? Do you want to know what God says? look at Jesus that's it Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God I get questions from people about why does God do this and why does he think that and why did he act this way and there's answers for those things but honestly at the end of the day what is who is God about it's Jesus Christ and so it's amazing that every time every time People encountered Jesus when he walked this earth. They had more. They got more than they ever expected. God himself encountering us. Heaven meeting earth. The divine interacting with the common, ordinary lives of people. And the reason why these stories are recorded is because the Holy Spirit is wanting for us to understand this is the way Jesus acted toward those people because this is the way that God is. And as he acted toward them, he acts too toward us. The same yesterday, today, and forever. This is Jesus. This is what you can expect. This is what you can know about God. And so I just want to grab some stories from the, from the New Testament Gospels and say, hey, what is it about encountering Jesus that helps me to understand more about God? What can I realize in my own life that this is who Jesus is and this is what I can believe and trust and know about God.
And so I want to start with this story. I think it's a foundational story. And it's in John chapter 3, or John chapter 4. And it's in verse 3 we read this. So he left Judea, Jesus left Judea, and went back once more to Galilee. Judea is that southern part. There's uh, Jerusalem. There's um, all the, it's kind of the, a lot of the, the hub of Israel, right? And he's, he's, He's went down there. He's from Galilee. He's from up in that area. He's from the northern part. And his ministry has taken him down to Judea. But things have taken off. And his ministry is exploding. And he's very careful to not allow that to get so out of control that the religious leaders were going to do something to him right then. He wanted to wait. He had ministry to do. He had a plan in place. And so, and not only that, he's just went into Jerusalem and he's ended up at the temple. And he just walks in and he realizes this is ridiculous. This is so far from the plan of God. And this has become religion. And he, he kind of causes a scene in the temple, right? He's throwing stuff over. He's, he's, um, he's like, this, this just causes me to be righteously indignant. You are deceiving people. You are mistreating people. And I can't stand this. You're doing it in the name of God. And so the religious leaders obviously didn't appreciate that. And so he realizes that, you know what, it's getting a little hot around here. I'm going to go ahead and move back up into Galilee and do some ministry. Now, we read, though, this kind of unique verse, verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Um, Here's what I would say. He did not have to go through Samaria. You're looking at me like, what does that say? I'm believing that. I'm not believing you. Here's, here's, what, here's what we need to understand. Most of the time, a, a Jewish person who was traveling from Judea to Galilee, they would avoid Samaria. There's a whole history there. Um, it's not good. It's very sordid. And in fact, although Judea to Galilee, the shortest point is Samaria, 20 miles. It's a rough trip. It's hills, it's rocks. It's an exhausting trip. Most people took the comfort, the, the easy way, the Jordan River Valley, and they would walk up the side. It was an easy travel. Think interstate, think gravel road. And they would do that. One, they didn't want to, you know, I mean, you're talking like Ohio State, Michigan here, okay? but on steroids. I mean, literally, like, real stuff. It's like Catholics, Protestants in Ireland. I mean, it's that kind of level of animosity. And so they didn't want to go through there. I mean, you know, you might get charged more for your meal. Um, People mistreat you on the road. It's a tough journey. And so when it says he had to go through Samaria, most Jews would have said, no, you don't. In fact, we don't. But the way this is written, in Jesus' heart, it's, it was necessary for him. He needed to do this. And I, I want us to, we'll come back to this at the end, because this is exactly what we need to understand about Jesus. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. It's called Joseph's, or Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. The word here, tired, 
is exhausted. In fact, it's the word used for slumped. So Jesus has started at probably six, seven in the morning. It's noon. He's went 20 miles in five hours probably over like this, okay? And he is physically exhausted. And he gets to the well and he just sits down and leans up and he slumps over. He's tired, right? That's exactly what the writer is communicating to us. It's, it's, he's slumping. He is physically exhausted. It says it was about noon, so the heat's up, sun of the day. And there's this unique turn in the story. We would read this, 21st century Americans, and this story is, okay, kind of get it. And we miss a lot of nuance, detail, things that are being said that are communicating something much deeper and much richer for us to get. At noontime, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Okay, very unique. A Samaritan, a woman, um, they would go and, and draw the water. That was part of their role in that culture. Uh, but they would do it at dusk when the heat wasn't up. Um, and what we understand too is scholars would say that this particular well, Jacob's well, was not the closest well to the city. And so we have this woman who is going at an odd time of the day to draw well at the farthest location, the, less, the most least populated area. It's kind of like, hey, this woman who's trying to avoid people, all right? You're going where there are no people. I don't know how, what we would do around here where we go to, I don't know. I would say go get gas in Florida, but there's no gas station, right, or something like that. Just trying to avoid people or something at, at a unique time of the day. And now we have this, this thing where this woman shows up, okay, Jewish man slumped over, okay. The way this should play out is woman draws her water, walks away. Because in that culture, there were a couple things at play. Um, a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman, there was no communication, okay? Just wasn't appropriate. It wasn't deemed appropriate. Two, Jesus would have been wearing, um, well, he was a rabbi, right? A teacher. And in that, I know this sounds weird. We have to wrap our mind around it, but Jewish teachers didn't talk to women in public at all. Can you imagine how that, would have went, how that would go today if I just ignored every one of you ladies? Hey, how you doing? I mean, awful, right? Weird. So things are happening here that are different, that are, that are unique. Jesus talks to her. In the middle of his physical exhaustion, in the middle of breaking cultural norms, he says, will you give me a drink? Well, <laughs> we know why he needed somebody to give him a drink because his disciples had gone into town. And the Samaritan woman says to him, whoa, 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 you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. This doesn't jive. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Here's the, the language of this is we don't use the same utensils. That's what she said. You guys won't drink after us. Some of us do that for germ reasons. Back then, you had to share a lot of the same cups, man. There wasn't a lot to go around. 
But one thing you didn't do is you don't, we don't share cups because our history is we hate each other. And you see, a long time ago when the Assyrians came in and, and ransacked Israel and they took out the best people and they just left certain people, they took over the land, there were certain Jews that started to marry the Assyrian men and women. And they intermingled the races. And the Jewish people who were big on, we are a pure race, pure blood, right? We are God's chosen people. That was disdainful to them. That you would mix our blood with another race. And they, they despised, they, they looked on contempt at these people who were then called Samaritans because of that. So I'm not sharing a cup, sharing a utensil, because you are beneath me. Then you have history of like when the Jewish people were able to come back from Babylonian captivity and they're starting, remember Nehemiah's building a wall and building the city. Well, guess who ends up trying to fight them from doing that? Samballot, who was a Samaritan. So, I mean, there's just like civil war here. There's disdain, there's contempt. There's the fact that the Samaritans said, all right, we're just gonna go up on this mountain and we're gonna build our own temple. We don't need your temple. We have our own thing and you see how? I mean, think like the 1950s in the South a little bit. Like, I can't use the same water fountain. I'm a white person. I can't use the same water fountain as a colored person or black or whatever's appropriate. Can't use the same bathroom. I can't, right? Just awful, awful. Take that and ramp it up by 100 degrees and you've got this animosity. And they're like, we don't, what are you doing talking to me? And then you want me to, you want to drink out of the same thing that we drink out of. See how this is going. And Jesus answers, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have instead asked me and I would have given you living water. So Jesus kind of responds in this way that she doesn't get Instead of being like, well, I don't care, give me a drink, you know. Or he says, listen, you don't understand who you're talking to. This is actually backwards. Like, if you knew who I was and what I could offer, you would be asking me long before I could ever ask you for a drink. But she doesn't get this. The woman says, sir... What are you talking about water? You have water. You have nothing to draw with. That's 100 feet down there. How are you going to? She gets sarcastic with Jesus. You can tell that this woman is, is a hardened person. Like life has just created an edge to her. There's a callousness to her. She's cynical. She's jaded. And she has a quick kind of response like she gets sarcastic really fast with this unique situation she's like how are you going to get a drink you don't even have anything you know and and out of that jesus says this or she says are you greater than our father jacob how are you going to promise me water when you don't have anything our, jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his livestock what are you some kind of really special person how are you going to pull this off? And Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So it gets to a point where the woman's like, he's not getting off this train. Like, he keeps throwing out this stuff. And I'm just like, okay, all right, you're going to offer me something where I don't have to come back here. She says, uh, well, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And I don't have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still not getting what he's saying, right? And she thinks, Man, this guy's selling some really good stuff. And I don't have to come back into this public place that I always am trying to avoid because of some things in my life, because of my reputation. And he's offering me a chance to just have water on tap, so to speak. She's totally missing Jesus' words, right? And yet Jesus um, just keeps conversing with her. In the middle of her sarcasm, in the middle of her ignorance, in the middle of all this, he just keeps, and he says to her, well, hey, you want this water? Why don't you go and bring your husband back? To which she responds, I don't have a husband. To which Jesus says, you are right. You don't have a husband. But the fact is, you have had five husbands. And you're actually living with someone now who is not your husband. What you said is true, but you've hidden the bigger part of the story. You've been disingenuous with me here. You've put yourself in the best light possible. And you've, out of shame, obviously said, well, I don't have a husband. Well, ask anybody in town. Well, yeah, she doesn't have a husband. She's had five. And the sixth guy won't even marry her now. You know, like, I don't know what they said. What do we say in towns like this? And she realizes then, wow, there's something to this guy. He just told me my history. He knows me. And I don't know how he knows me. But there definitely is something. She, she called him a prophet. Like, you're prophetic. And they had those people in that day. She says, sir, I I can see that you are a prophet. And so she's like, okay, let's stop talking about me. (laughs) I don't want to go any farther in that conversation. So she gets real religious all of a sudden. If you're a prophet, you're a Jewish prophet, then I would remind you that our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. You Jews claim that we must worship in Jerusalem. She gets kind of adversarial here. Like, you're going to start telling me what's wrong with me. And I want to tell you that we have our own place to worship. You have your own place to worship. And Jesus says, woman, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's just amazing how Jesus' words are always pointing to greater realities for us. We're still stuck on real water. We're still stuck on religious things. We're still stuck in our path. And Jesus is just throwing out this stuff to her. Like there's living water that you won't have to thirst again. There's this place where guess what? There's coming a day when there will not be any more squabble about this way is right and this way is right. But you Samaritans, he says this, you Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. He says, listen, you don't even get what's going on. 
But he says, I want to tell you that there is a time that's coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He says, listen, there is a whole new thing coming, and it's God is spirit, and his worshipers will worship in the spirit and in the truth. And the woman said, well, okay. I know that Messiah is coming. They believe that too. The Samaritans, they, they followed the Old Testament Pentateuch, the law. Um, they, she knew that she was a woman who was immoral. That's why she hid that from him. Because their law said, yeah, it's not a good idea to have five husbands and then be living with somebody. It's against the law. And, he, and she says, well, we know Messiah is coming. And he says, when he comes, he will be explaining this to us. And Jesus says this. He declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Kind of a side note, this is the first person in John, Jesus declares himself as the Messiah. And as I was thinking about that story, did anybody not know that story? Probably not. Most of you have all heard this story. But what is it about this encounter that you and I need to clue into and we need to understand. And I want to start this series with this story for a reason. Because if you look at this story, there are a good number of barriers that should have stopped this story from happening. This conversation from happening. It it just should be. Think about it. It would have been much easier for Jesus to take the easy road to go to Galilee. Most Jews would have. It would have been more comfortable to do that. Think about the fact that Jesus begins a conversation when he is physically exhausted, right? Like he's slumped over. It says that on purpose to help us see. What do you normally do when you get home from work and you've had a tiring day? Either physically or for me a lot of times it's mentally. I've talked all day. The last thing I want to do when I go home is do what? I don't want to talk. In fact, I go home and for about 20 minutes I'm just like, just let me veg out. Right? I just need to shut my brain off. Jesus is there. He's tired physically. That should, it would have been very natural. That would have been a barrier that he just, I'm too tired to talk. Think about the barrier of race, Samaritan and Jew. That conversation shouldn't have happened. Think about the cultural norms, man to woman, teacher to woman. That shouldn't have happened. Think about the fact that she got sarcastic with him. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a conversation with somebody that's getting sarcastic with me, I tend to like end the conversation, right? You guys don't? I don't appreciate that. None of us do. Like, okay, nice seeing you too, right? Let's just shut her down. That's not working. That was a sarcasm, could have been a barrier. For this conversation to continue. Think about the, the um, shame 
that the woman had and the, and the realization that she was an immoral woman. That could have definitely been a barrier. Any other rabbi would have not talked to her and any other rabbi would have realized, whoa, not only is it teacher to woman, but this is an immoral woman. I can't do this. Not, okay? That's definitely a barrier that could have been up. Think about the fact that she, uh, she, uh, <laughs> she was wanting to talk about religion. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've learned that religion and politics, sometimes it's just better to keep your mouth shut, right? <laughs> okay, we're going to go there. I'm going to stop because <laughs> I've learned that there's no win a lot of times. And she's wanting to say, hey, you, you, okay, you're a prophet, and you know my life, but we have our own God. We have our own thing. Why are you bothering me? Why are you pointing this out? I'm, I've got my Samaritan thing. And so religion could have been a reason to the barrier. Let's, let's not go there. Let's end this. Could have been the barrier of ignorance. Jesus said she had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> He kept trying to say things to her and she kept misinterpreting it, right? I'm trying to tell you something here you need to clue into and she's still like, you're gonna reach down in there and get water or you're this or that or even just the barrier of indifference. Like, she was not seeking him. In fact, she was sarcastic with him. She wasn't pleased that this conversation was happening at first, she was just indifferent. I don't need help. I don't need anything. Just here, why are you talking to me? And even as the conversation goes, she's just indifferent to the fact that he's trying to tell her something that's, wow, right? All of these barriers could have been in place for this encounter to not happen or not continue or not have the outcome that it has. And I would remind you that we do this. We create barriers so often when it comes to our lives encountering Jesus Christ. It's not what I'm used to. I didn't grow up that way. I just don't have time. I just don't know that that works in the real world. I'm not sure that I can believe all that or just like that woman don't you know that I have a past how could I really be someone that encounters Jesus in my life engages with Jesus Christ has a relationship don't you know where I come from what I've done who I've been there's no way I would even can even go there in my mind. I'm not worthy to even think about having that kind of life. Or maybe it's like, don't you know who I am right now? <laughs> don't you see my flawed, broken uh, life where I just can't get out of my own way and I'm bound by my sinful behaviors and I just, I'm a screw up? How in the world, I just don't ever believe I could live that out. I'm not cut out to be that person. Barriers we create all the time. Or 
We can pull the religion card. Well, I'm going to straighten my life up. I'm going to start going to church, start being involved in good things. I'm going to start doing this and this and this. And then maybe I can start to encounter Jesus. Maybe I can become a good person so that then I can kind of get into this whole, right? Maybe it's ignorance. I I don't really know anything about this. My parents didn't teach me. I didn't grow up in church. I'm just kind of one of those people that I don't know that I'll ever get this because I never started with this. And you'd be amazed. People say these things, believe these things. It's just like, unless it's almost like this idea, unless you were kind of brought up in it, it's kind of all of these barriers. Or maybe it's just a simple barrier of really haven't given it much thought or I don't feel too much of a need. And we create barriers. But what I want to remind you of from this story is that God exists without barriers. Every single barrier that could have happened to stop that encounter, to stop that conversation, to keep it from continuing, God pushed right, Jesus pushed right past all of it. Because that's who God is. He exists without barriers. And he is this. He is consistent in his relentless pursuit of encountering and engaging with us. That to me is what this story says. There are so many reasons why this story shouldn't have happened, but Jesus knew it was necessary for who he was as the savior of the world. His heart, his life was all about pushing back any barriers of any situation to reach to any person, even a Samaritan woman with a checkered past. God exists without barriers. And in this idea of us living lives that encounter Jesus Christ, that experience a relationship with him, we have to simply begin to come to the conclusion that this is the reality of God's word and God's truth is this that there are really no excuses for us to not encounter Jesus. Really. Because guess what? He knocks them all down. It's not like I'm trying to say, there's no excuse. You know, like maybe your parents said, there's no excuse for that behavior. You know, like that. I'm not trying to say it that way. I'm saying that God has literally knocked down every barrier so that we can only just say, the only, the only reason I'm not encountering him is I haven't opened my heart up to him. I'm not opening my heart up to him. Because there is no other thing that could come in the way of me and him. Because he has knocked them all down. Think Jesus explaining a lost coin or a lost sheep or a lost son 
when he told those stories, those parables, that God is the God who goes after the one and leaves the 99. God is the one who spends all of his time ransacking his house, cleaning his house, upending the furniture to find that lost coin. He's the God who passionately pursues when a lost son goes away. He's looking every day, waiting for him to return. And when he starts to move that way, God is a God who runs to where he is. And this, this story reminds us that God breaks down every barrier that we could ever erect to meet us right where we're at. And he meets a, a Samaritan woman that probably had been about last on the list of who the Savior of the world is going to have a conversation with and ultimately this person is going to become a missionary and her whole town is going to change. Because she finds Jesus, if you continue to read the story, right? Because that's what God does, that's who he is. And as we begin this series, thinking about encountering Jesus, I just want to remind you that there are no things that we can throw up as to why we can't encounter Jesus. Because he breaks them all down. He goes to where we can't. He comes to where we are. Always, always moving and so this morning, I ask you to stand. Ben's going to lead us as we sing some familiar words. And I just invite you, would you just open your heart to the Lord? Maybe some of you today are like, I don't even know Jesus Christ. I didn't know this stuff. I didn't realize this stuff. Well, I would say right now, I just invite you, just, would you at your seat, would you just kind of, would you open your heart to him? Would you pray to him and say, God, I see that you're the God who pursues me it's necessary for you to come to me because that's who you are. You love. You just, that's what you want to do. That's who you are. And that there's really no reason for me not to have a relationship with you. I can't think of anything good enough. I can't think of any excuse why I can't. <laughs> I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. A bad, bad past. She had all those things. And Jesus just kept right on. <laughs> just right on. Oh yeah? Well, let me tell you this. Oh yeah? Well, let me share this. Oh yeah? Until finally she's just like, I get it. Maybe for all of us, sometimes we don't encounter Jesus as fully. Our relationship is nicked. It's dinged. It's distracted. It's whatever. And we say it's because of this and this and this. And I just want to remind you that Jesus is running to right where we're at. Don't try to fix your problem. Just let Jesus into the middle of your problem. Would you do that today? Because he's a God who relentlessly pursues. Our prayer, God, today is simply that each one of us would know that we're relentlessly pursued by you. And that honestly, we just might as well right now throw our hands up and say, there's no really reason why I can't experience you encountering you. Because you have come right to where I'm at. You are always coming to me. Thank you for this kind of Savior. This God who's not up there with his arms crossed. But yet is moving, leaning into us. Pursuing us. This is truth that is beyond our imagination. But it's the truth that changes our lives. And causes us to turn from our own ways and wisdom 
to a God who loves like this. So Lord, may each one of us encounter Jesus because he's right there waiting for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.